0: This world of social media that we're all living in today, it's, it's just bizarre. It's difficult. It's tricky. There's this unspoken expectation that if it's not on Instagram, it didn't happen. And at the same time, we're also conditioned to just share the highlights of our lives, that, that maybe just the best parts of our life are what should be on the internet. And as somebody who has had a pretty significant following on social media for quite some time now, I've always felt this tension between putting things out in the world that bring people joy and happiness and hope and, you know, a sense of adventure and excitement and creativity. But then also, you know, this whole other side of me, which wants to put out the things that are maybe real, the things that are raw, the things that aren't perfect, because those are things that we all experience on a day-to-day basis. And then there's this whole other side of social media, where if you think about it, our kids and even grandkids someday will be able to see what we've said online about everything from politics to current trends and how we've chosen to engage with those things. And I think that's really, really crazy. We get to choose what kind of legacy we want to leave, which means that we have to be more intentional than ever about what we put online. My guest on sounds good this week does such a great job of wrestling with this tension and, putting things out into the world that are real and meaningful and and more than anything i think vulnerable and that's what i wanted to talk to her about this week her name is jenna kutcher and she has single-handedly built a six-figure income photography business as well as she's an artist she's an educator she's a host and producer of her podcast she does all of these things but at the same time she's also dealt with tremendous pains And it'd be really easy for her to just share about all of these incredible things that she's putting out in the world and really easy to just talk about the joy in her life because she's got a lot of joy in her life. She lives a very joyful life, but she chooses to be all about the real, not the highlight reel. And I think that's really, really beautiful. So I wanted to talk to her this week on the podcast. I am Brandon Harvey and this podcast is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have hopeful conversations with resilient and creative people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact for the good of humanity in the ways that are unique to them. So without any further ado, let's just jump straight into the show. Oh my gosh, Jenna, so I was looking at your Instagram story today and there is snow on the ground. What is up with that? I can't believe it's that time of year.
1: I know. It's crazy. You know, we always joke that we hibernate during the winter. And with this snowfall, I am getting out the sweaters and I am getting out the cozy blankets and I'm going to (laughs) hibernate.
0: That is perfect. I very much respect that. You're in Wisconsin, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Up in the Midwest. Have you been in
0: Wisconsin your whole life?
1: No. So I grew up in northern Minnesota, actually okay. fairly close to Canada. So we are right off of Lake Superior and it is a tundra up there. So my whole family is still there. But Wisconsin is a little milder, but we definitely get pummeled with snow and ice.
0: I feel like a lot of people would just lump Minnesota and Wisconsin into the same <laughs> little area. And so uh, I'm glad that you, you specified that they're a little bit different.
1: They are. They are I mean, they are. My parents love to remind us how different Wisconsin is. So uh, shout out to all the Minnesotans out there. You guys are fierce warriors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's what was growing up in Minnesota like? And and what's it like, especially living close to our neighbors to the north in Canada?
1: Yeah. So you know what's so interesting is um A lot of times when people meet me, they don't understand how small of a town that we live in. And I think it's so interesting leading um, a very big brand and a very big business out of a very tiny town. So um, I grew up in a town of 5,000 people. I went to the same school from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Um, So it was, you know, a very, very... I don't want to say simple life because it makes it sound boring. Um but it was just that small town life and what's been so funny as you know we've grown This career and business and all the things in our lives together, uh, Drew and I continue to gravitate towards small towns. And so, the town that we live in right now, I tell people it's small, it's 12,000 people. And, you know, the nearest Starbucks is 30 miles away. We don't have a Target. Uh, We literally have one coffee shop. It's called Beauty and the Bean. You can get your haircut and get coffee at the same time. And it's in this little house. Um, So, You know, we live in this tiny little town where nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows about Instagram. My friends joke and they call it Instantgram. They don't know really what it is. And it's beautiful because the... You know, the ability to be naive about what this world is, is sometimes just a beautiful thing. And it's so quiet. Everyone waves at each other when you're out on a walk. Like, it's, it's lovely. It's straight out of the movies. <laughs>
0: That's actually really fascinating because I feel like, I mean, I've lived in Portland, Oregon and Nashville, Tennessee, both of which are really creative towns where I'm constantly surrounded by really creative people who know everything that I know about the internet and then some. And
1: I'm on an island.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it almost to me, sometimes I feel like when I think about living somewhere that's not one of these big cities, it terrifies me because I'm like, oh, well, what's this going to do to my job? What's this going to do to my creativity? How is my community going to look? And I like that you, somebody who has like such an impressive collection of things you put out into the world, you are I just did giant hand motions. I don't know why I did that. I'm alone right now. Um <laughs> But, like you you're just living in this small town, able to do that, and that's really fascinating and aspiring to me.
1: It's incredible. It's uh definitely isolating at times. We lived in a village of twelve hundred people a legitimate village <laughs> um and that was where my business started and I started to realize that it was so isolating because there was nowhere to walk to. There was no coffee shops, no restaurants, no creative community, and um, you know I was really, really lonely. It was, it was really isolating, and I was far from my family. And so, it's so interesting, and I think that I'm still very cultured because I travel so much, um, and our lifestyle allows us to do that because cost of living one is super low. Um, but second off, I think it's allowed me to, to do the hard work because I'm not influenced by a community. I don't have a community. And so for me, it's just really this, uh, deep look into like who I am and what I want to put out into the world instead of looking at what everyone else is doing.
0: That totally makes sense to me. That's really fascinating. You said that you started your very first business in that village. What was your very first business? Like, how did you jump into this whole situation?
1: Yeah. So I went to college. I uh, imagined being this powerful woman CEO. So I think I've always been driven to be the boss. I just imagined it looking a heck of a lot different than it does. So I envisioned like power suits and high heels in that corner office. And now my life looks like sitting in my attic in my sweatpants doing the best work of my life. And so I, I hated the corporate world. I got into it. I was on the fast track of success. I was being primed to continue moving moving up. And I just realized I didn't even want to climb the ladder. Like it was soul sucking and depleting. And I was struggling with anxiety and I ended up buying a $300 camera on Craigslist, not at all anticipating starting a business. And I started blogging, put that out into the world. And then a year later I was a full fledged wedding photographer with 25 weddings on the calendar and the ability what? to put in my two weeks notice. Yeah. wow. <laughs> oh, so it's been an interesting journey. So that was where it all began
0: and so at what point did you start kind of building out an audience online because i feel like i've been following along with your work and i've been hearing your name for it must be years now but i'm wondering almost when that when our kind of paths started to cross
1: You know, it's interesting because as a photographer, I've always felt like a fraud. I think that, you know, I never went to school for it. I never planned on it. I never studied it. I never took art classes. And so my whole beginning of my career was trying to fit in, trying to blend in so that nobody could catch me and say, like, I know you don't know what you're doing. Um, And I didn't. I sincerely didn't. And so... I think that, you know, my platform has absolutely really grown a ton over the last couple years. And I would say that there is a colossal shift from me just being a photographer to me being someone who told stories. And some of those stories were through images, but a lot of them were my personal stories. And when that shift happened, I feel like I started to land on people's radars, not for the work I was creating or the titles that I wore, but for the person that I was.
0: Was that shift intentional or did you stumble across it?
1: You know, I am an incredibly strategic person and I used to apologize for that. I used to think it was a character flaw. I used to think that being strategic meant that you were conniving or in it for what was in it for you. And I think that what started to happen is I felt out of alignment, only showing the best things in life. I felt that it wasn't an honest reflection of what life truly is. Because I I think life is this journey that is beautifully broken and um, entirely whole all at the same time. And those two things can coexist. And I think that the internet world only shows us that one side of that perfection. And so when I started to share my heart more, even if it was behind beautiful images. Um, I started to see that freedom that was coming in knowing that I could be myself. And, and I think I always lived with that fear of if somebody met me in real life, would I not live up to those Instagram expectations? And it was such a challenge that was so inner of who I was and who I, I have become to be challenged to show not just the highlight reel, but like what's actually real.
0: I think that's one of the things that I am most drawn to about you. Yeah. I mean, I've always loved your photos. I've always loved the way that you, you know, you've got this amazing business empire and you teach others how to do the same thing. But I'm so drawn to the way that you choose to intentionally be vulnerable online I was thinking about this with myself. I feel like I'm maybe a little bit less strategic, but but still, I feel like I'm a fairly strategic person. But I remember accidentally kind of being vulnerable online at one point and being like, oh, you know, like this felt good for me to actually put this out into the world. But I see people responding to this. I see people actually, you know, connecting with this and saying me too. Did you have one of those initial moments or one of those early times that you chose to put something out online where you're like, wow, this is connecting with people. This maybe helps people and maybe myself.
1: Yeah. So... I think one of the first things that I did, and and now it's insane because it's become so engraved in who I am, and also the work that I do. Um, it started because I was at a conference for women, and and I don't get to ever really attend conferences. I'm always teaching, and I love to travel, but I'm very cautious about where my time is going because I see the value in my time. And so I was at a conference with women. We were all sitting around. It was the night before the attendees came and we were kind of going in this circle of talking about our struggle with body image and the way that we looked. And it it kind of turned into this fest of talking about the things that were wrong with us. And I was like, tomorrow morning when you wake up, I'm coming to your room and I'm photographing you. No makeup, no retouching. I want for you to see yourself the way that I see you. And in that, my friend turned the camera on me And that was the first time that I showed up online with like no makeup, no retouching, fresh out of bed. And I remember it resonating really deeply, not just because of the image, but because of the words that accompanied it and saying about, you know, what, what I'm insecure about. And I think that as someone who, you know, people would call, quote unquote, an influencer, um, that pressure had really been getting to me and I didn't even realize it. And so that was kind of one of those first times where I was nervous about putting it out there, but I felt like a deeper pull of like, just do it. And that has... Um, changed so much for me in the way that I show up online consistently now. And it's become a piece of my story, not a piece of my business, not a piece of my brand per se, but like a piece of how I show up in the world.
0: I think that's probably something that people immediately recognize when they start following you on Instagram is they'll be scrolling through and they'll see a lot of of your face and they'll see a lot of you. And I think a lot of people, especially photographers, you know, we hide behind the camera and you put yourself out there. I mean, you, you do this amazing campaign with the folks at Aerie where you're, you're diving into this whole, you know, no retouching real women branding that they do. And it's so authentic and it's so real. Um, and I read those comments underneath your posts and... It's beautiful to see how people are responding. It's incredible. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, it was so funny. Um, you know, my family is first off, they don't really ever understand what I do. Um, (laughs) you know, it's, we're, we're small town Minnesotans, like they don't get online marketing or any of that. But I remember sitting down with my mom over coffee. It was probably a few months ago. And I said to her, I said, you know, I put a lot of my life out there. Has there ever been times where I've put something out there that you cringe at? And she said uh you know the first time you posted something in your bra and underwear uh she's like I did I I was really worried and I I didn't get it and she goes but then I read those comments and she said, I knew the work was so much deeper. And uh, I guess I, I just had lunch with my sister yesterday and she goes, guess what? Dad got a Pinterest and he saw you in your underwear. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, first off dad has Pinterest. That's super interesting. Uh, second off, that's great that he saw me on there. And he, he said to her, your sister was on Pinterest in her underwear, um, which is like, uh, I mean, it's like paralyzing and hysterical at the oh, same time. Yeah. But, what's so unique about it is I think a lot of times women's bodies are sexualized and uh, we believe that we're putting out that content for men. And my audience, I know my audience so intimately so well. And my audience is like 97% female. And so when I put those out there, it is not that my body is glorified in a sexual way and it's never put out there in that intent. Um, And I think that that is seen so clearly and that it is for women. It's not for men.
0: Totally. Absolutely. In the process of you being vulnerable with your body, but also your words and the things going on in your life. Do you feel like people in your audience ever almost cross a line where you're where you feel like they think that they know you, but you feel like they don't know the real you or they don't know as much of you as obviously, you know,
1: every day of my life, I feel like Uh, Being an influencer is a lot more work than anyone would ever recognize, and um, especially when you take your scope of influence seriously, which I absolutely do. And, you know, we're constantly faced with like, how much do we share? And I am actually a pretty private person. And I think that people don't understand that or don't believe that because of the way that I write and share. Um, but there is so much in my life that I protect. And there's so much in my life that I cherish so deeply that I don't believe it belongs on the internet. And so what's really, really hard and what's a constant struggle is the fact that I have built a brand that allows people to feel like they know me. And I think that there's so much beauty in that connection, but it also has really created this environment where I almost want to be a hermit because I covet my privacy and I don't like when people approach me as though they know me without giving me a chance to know me. And if you sit down like this interview or if we sat down and and shared a drink together, I would tell you anything. Nothing is off limits, but I reserve that ability for people that I'm truly connected with and for people that deserve and respect that honor.
0: I think that's a really wise place to be. And and I think that there's a matter of self-care that has to come with that. And not just for people with audiences, but for anybody who you know, is is choosing to be vulnerable with their life, you know, you've got to draw lines and, and we all get to figure out where that line is. What do things look like for you then behind the scenes, you know, in your, you know, in your town or with your family, when you've got big things happening in your life, how do you choose to let people into that, you know, in a private way? <laughs> Not asking you specifically to to, to share what that no, is. Yeah. But
1: That's a fair question. And um, you know, it's so funny, like a lot of people don't know that I have a brother and my family is super close. Like we are on a group text every day. It's so annoying. I hate group texts, <laughs> uh, cause my phone is like always going off. Um, but, but my brother's not on social media. And so I respect that about him and I respect that boundary of his. And so I don't share about him. And, you know, people, people don't understand that, like there is this level of protection, Um, and, and it also infiltrates so deeply into our marriage because I have the right to share my story, but I don't have the right to tell my husband's story. I don't have the right to insinuate anyone else's story. And so when we go to share things like we've had two miscarriages and putting those out into the world, those are things where I felt divinely called to share, but those are incredibly personal, incredibly hard things to put into the world. And so when I share that, I can only share my part of that story. Drew's story might look totally different, and it's up to him to decide how and where he wants to show up with that. And, um, you know, it's this constant checks and balances system of am I putting too much out there or. Am I doing it in a way that stays true to what I feel my call is while also preserving that story with integrity while also creating a place of protection for myself, my soul, um, you know, my life?
0: What do you think that, that looks like for people who maybe don't have an audience online? You know, do, do you think that did, did that similarly applies
1: Yeah. I mean, if you ever are bored and you take the time to scroll through my social media, my message has been the same when I had a thousand followers to when I had over a hundred thousand. And I think that that is true to who I am, but also true to the fact that I am very careful with what I let have influence in my life. And what I think is incredible and what I think I've learned is, um, we went through a loss with, um, one of our best friends, the best man in our wedding passed away unexpectedly in a car accident years ago. And I realized then, um, it was, you know, such a, such a hard time. We were at the stage of our lives where we just felt so invincible and, I remember wanting to feel closer to him. And the way that I was finding myself doing that was through going onto Facebook, looking at his Instagram, reading his tweets. And I realized that nowadays we don't keep diaries or journals like the world once did. And it shifted my view on social media from just being a place to market to being a place to preserve my legacy. And in that legacy, not everything is good and not everything is perfect. And that is my challenge is I don't want to scroll back through my feed and say, that is not at all what my life was like. Like my life was so much messier than this. I want to look back and say like, that was where I was at. That was what I was feeling. And so Whether or not you have a platform, you still have a story. And I truly believe that we have to do a better job of honoring those stories. It doesn't have to be publicly, but I challenge you to document it because someday that story is going to matter to somebody. And what I find is just like we do with our work, it's easy to hide behind our work. It's so easy to hide behind the veil of social media. But when we can release that fear and when we can start to put those struggles out there, That is the best connector in this life. When somebody can say, me too, you are creating this connection so much deeper than look at this perfect. Perfect is creating this obstruction in our lives from creating actual relationships. It's making us feel less than. People are complaining that social media makes you feel inadequate. And so um, the whole reason why I put some of that hard stuff out there is so that people know that they're not alone.
0: That's so good. And I love that idea of this being something that people are going to look back on. Or I don't even think that like is the right word for that. It actually terrifies me a little bit, but it reminds me of something that one of our previous podcast guests, Jeremy Cowart, said. He says that we are the first generation on our digital family tree. And our kids and our grandkids and, you know, all these people who come after us are going to be able to go online and see what we said about Donald Trump or about our bodies or about our family or about, you know, all of these things. And, you know, we get to choose what kind of legacy we want to live. And I think that it makes it even more important that we're intentional about what we put out online. And that's something that I've been trying to be really active about and And for me, that's come in terms of me not wanting to be passive. And so I see a lot of things going on in the world. I see a lot of problems. I see a lot of injustices that if these things are left uncorrected, then my grandkids are going to be dealing with these issues. My grandkids are going to have these problems in their day-to-day lives, just as I did. They might be worse. Or... You know, maybe we'll have such an impact that they won't have that. But either way, you know, they're going to be able to look back in my Instagram or my tweets or you know whatever and be able to say, "Here's what my grandfather did in response to that." Because I feel like we've got a we've got an entire generation of people who are around in World War One or World War Two, who you know we can be like, "Oh, they did this or they did that," but to have that firsthand evidence of like, "Here's how." you know grandpa fought the nazis like that's wild and so i haven't figured out how to do it yet but but i'm trying to be intentional and i'm trying to i'm trying to take action in a way that that i can be proud of for years to come and that other people can be proud of for years to come
1: yeah i mean it's it's a weight like it's scary i don't think yeah. anybody knows how to do it but i think just even shifting that mindset of like this is me preserving my story can can shift the way that you want to use and interact on platforms.
0: Another thing that I think you've done a really, really amazing job of inviting people into, and I know that this this isn't easy, is you've had two miscarriages over the course of a few years and, and you've invited your audience into, into the behind the scenes of that. And you've shared vulnerably. And that's something that you know, I, I'm not a woman and I'm I'm not even at an age where I know a whole lot of people who are, you know, trying to have kids. But I do know that, you know, this isn't something that people talk about very often, but it's something that, that impacts a lot of women. Why did you decide to be somebody who decided to speak out against or not speak out against this? How did you decide to become somebody who would share about this, who would share about the intimate part of your life?
1: Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting because, I mean, obviously I never thought this would happen to us. And I don't think you can plan for things like this. Um, But one of the first things when we found out that there wasn't a heartbeat and that we had lost our baby, um, I was... So crippled with sadness in the fact that we couldn't like announce that we were having a baby and that our family was growing and to to invite the audience in on that piece of it. I was so excited about that journey. And, and when you
0: in some ways already shared online that you were trying. Like I, I remember hearing a podcast, I believe, where you were basically saying, you know, here's my fears of having a baby, here are my hopes and my dreams. And then, you know, a, a few months later, you've got another podcast about your miscarriage. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think like when we got those that news, like one of the first things I said was that we, we had to share about it. And what's actually really interesting, and I think that it can only come from God, is when we found out we were pregnant, the first thing I said was, if we lose this baby, we're putting it out there. Which is such a weird thought for anyone to have uh, when you get that exciting news, especially when you're you've been wanting that news. And I remember calling my sister and telling her right away. And I said those words: "If we lose this baby, we're going to share about it." And she said, "Why would you even say something like that?" Like, and I said that I feel like I feel like I'm being prepared for something to happen. I don't know what that is, and that I have to step up to the plate for it. And I think that when you're running full speed and all of a sudden you hit the biggest roadblock of your life and you're just stopped, stopped in your tracks, you feel like you have to explain yourself. And I think that there was a piece of that where I needed to take time off in a way and I needed people to respect that. And I was so worried about people assuming that I was still pregnant that in me wanting to protect myself and like facilitate a period for actual grief, I knew that I had to share it, but I didn't understand that in sharing it, I was going to create this space for women to have their brokenness welcomed, um, and to have it understood and to be heard. And so, you know, it was one of those things. And and when we went through our second miscarriage, I was angry. I was I was so angry at God, because I felt like I had done the hard work the first time around. I felt like I had showed up in the way that I felt called to, and I couldn't understand why he would let that happen to me again, like why that had to be a part of my story, because I felt like, you know, I was a good and faithful servant in showing up and, and creating that space and having those conversations and that I had done that and that piece of my life was done so that I could finally move on and I, and I wanted to have that redemption song and I wanted to share God's goodness in that grief and then it happened again and I I was paralyzed like I was angry, I ran from it. I I buried myself into work. I I didn't want to process it because processing it meant it was real. And, um, it was such a weird season of life. And in, and in some ways I'm still in that season. Um, our, our second due date is coming up and I haven't been able to talk about miscarriage for a few months because I have been processing so intimately within myself. And, and I don't know what to say because, Because I think that with grief, people expect you to just get over it, that like you'll wake up someday and it's done. And I think that you have to learn, just as Ashley said on your show, that like grief and joy can coexist and you have to create that space for them to do so. Um, But just because you're feeling one or the other, it doesn't mean that the other one's not there.
0: I think that I saw you share something on Instagram too about that, where you're like, hey, this has been a heavy, hard time. And Though my Instagram, it looks like we're maybe having some fun and and we are, you know, where you and your husband went to Hawaii and you guys have gotten to, you know, go on some fun adventures together, but that doesn't mean that you're not having a really difficult time. And I think it's beautiful. Like you said, you know, that joy and sorrow can both coexist in that, in that weird, bizarre tension I, I know that it's too soon to be like learning lessons or anything. Oh, I'm learning lessons it, every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is your second miscarriage and it sounds like the second is harder than the first. What are you learning about that tension between joy and grief? What What are you kind of experiencing right now?
1: You know, I think one of the hardest things is the fact that we publicly put it out there. I think that the world is so ready to celebrate with us when that time comes And I think that that's so beautiful, but I can't let that be the fuel for me to feel ready to try again. And I hate the terminology try again because it makes me feel like we failed the first times. And I think that, you know, going into it again, I want to be prepared. I want to feel like I have done everything in my power and control to create a safe space for a baby to grow. And there is so much shame and guilt that accompanies miscarriage that is so hard to put into words because we know, we know that it wasn't our fault. We know that it was nothing we did or ate or said or drank or anything. We know that medically speaking, but that doesn't mean you don't feel that. And so there's still a lot of shame around it. There's still a lot of questions for me to answer. And um, for some people, it makes sense to like just get right back on the bandwagon and start trying again because you want that baby so badly. But for me, it's been this year-long process after each loss to come back to myself, to come back to my body, to feel equipped to go on that journey again and you know, it's, it's wild for me to think that in the last year I've been pregnant for 20 weeks, which is half of a pregnancy term. And still I don't have a baby. And so, you know, there's so much that happens within your body, but there's so much that happens within your soul. And, um, I never understood it until I went through it. I think that I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the horrible things I thought before, you know, I thought, well, at least you didn't have a baby and it died, or at least, uh, it happened early or, you know, at least your body did what it was supposed to do because something wasn't right. But when you walk that, it's not just a notion of, of the physical, it's that we were supposed to have a baby at Christmas and that, you know, like there's so much much emotional. There's so much anticipation. There's so much ideas. And to have to retrain our brains twice to not imagine a nursery, to not imagine trips with a baby, to not imagine a life where my husband's a stay-at-home dad, I think that's the stuff that is so hard to share and and to help people to understand.
0: And you're a planner and a dreamer and a strategizer. And so you've been doing that for half of a pregnancy and then and then all of a sudden you had to totally unplug all of those plans and dreams and strategies and, and come up with new ones for your new reality.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean I'm a control freak. I'm happy to admit it. Like I love having control. And uh I think that it's so clear to me that God has been so present in the last 2 years. Um there have been so many opportunities and things that have happened in our lives that would have never happened. And I can see that, but it doesn't take the hurt away. And it doesn't take that, that what if away. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where you're constantly pivoting and you're doing the best you can. And it has absolutely transformed the way that I live my life. Um, I used to glorify busy. I used to hustle. I used to work from sunup to sundown and, The thought then of having a baby scared the living daylights out of me because I felt like I could barely take care of myself, let alone another human. And being challenged to really see what kind of life do I want to lead and what kind of family do I want my child to grow up in. You know, it's just been this like soul searching endeavor that has been the hardest thing I've ever embarked on, but the most rewarding as well.
0: It sounds like in addition to you being vulnerable online and and sharing these deep parts of yourself you're you're maybe exploring you know those parts of yourself just personally you're becoming vulnerable with yourself which is something that oh my gosh 2017 has been the year of that for me and it's It's hard work i know how hard it is (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, I can definitely say these last few months have been transformative as I've dove into my issues with food and the way that I treat my body and the way that I think of myself. And it has been the hardest work of my life, showing up for the work that is that inner dialogue in your head um, that no one else can see, that no one else hears, that it doesn't show up as Instagram captions. Learning how to to come back home to myself has been the most unpaved journey of my life. And yet it has been the most fruitful journey. And when God blesses us with a baby, I feel like I am going to have so much more perspective, so much more empathy, so much more ability to love myself and love someone else and show somebody what what true love is. And I think the most interesting piece of that has been doing all of this work publicly and sharing it publicly because I don't have the answers. I am not an expert in anything. I have no idea what I'm doing. And yet I continue to just show up. And I think that So often in life, the stuff that we want to run from, the stuff that we want to hide, that is where your life's mission lies. And we're so busy covering it up that we never unearth what our true potential could be.
0: That is absolutely beautiful. And I almost feel like we should just leave on a note of for people who maybe want to dive in and become a little bit more vulnerable with themselves, and then maybe even you know, become vulnerable with others in a safe way, in a healthy way, you know, what kind of advice would you give them based off of your experience of learning how to do this yourself?
1: You know, I think that so often we don't create a space for brokenness. I think we attribute brokenness to weakness and we are all just trying to look like we have it figured out. And when I started to to lay the table, to set the table, to put out more chairs, to say like, your brokenness is welcome here. Um, You can show up just as you are. And when I started to facilitate those conversations and to create that space, that was where everything changed. And not just my following or my income or my numbers, but where true connections were being made, where true conversations were being had and i think that a lot of times it has to start with that inner work it has to start with being honest about the things that you have been through the things that define a piece of your soul the things that you are ashamed of or that you are excited about it it can it doesn't all have to be the bad stuff like there's so much good to celebrate and share as well But when we can start to unearth how those things have shaped our lives in a truly honest way, it is when we start to find our voice in that. And when you find your voice in something, whether you choose to share it online or with your closest friends, you start to create this opportunity for other people to truly feel like They are welcome to show up in the world. And, and I hate that we feel like we need permission, but I sincerely believe that these days we need permission to show up, to show the bad stuff, to show the good stuff. Um, and so when you can take that on and say, like, I want to be a permission granter, I want to show people that just because there's brokenness in your life that you are not broken, um, that is where... The most beautiful work has happened and and my most beautiful work in this life has nothing to do with money, it has nothing to do with profits, it has nothing to do with followers. It's the stuff that comes in those emails that says that you know we just found out we lost our baby or you inspired me to show up on a beach in a swimsuit. It's the silliest things like that, but seeing people come alive because I'm choosing to show up, it is life-giving and it is constantly challenging me to be conscious of how I come into this world. And so regardless of your platform, regardless of your followers, regardless of what it is you've been through, that does not define you. But in creating a space for other people to say me too, you are changing the world.
0: Wow, Jenna is such an incredible human being who I believe is an important voice we need to be listening to, maybe now more than ever. For those of you who are looking for action steps and how to best move toward a healthy kind of vulnerability, or as Jenna puts it, finding your way back home to yourself, you should take her advice and, number one, create a space for brokenness. Lean into the places and parts of yourself that are messy. Two, Be honest with yourself about the things that you are ashamed of and excited about. Doing the inner work is important. And number three, find your voice. Create an opportunity for others to show up in the world. If you're not already following Jenna online, you should absolutely follow her on social media across the board. My favorite spot to follow her is Instagram, but she's everywhere. Jenna Kutcher. You should also check out her podcast where she dives into both her personal life and business. It's called The Goal Digger Podcast. If you're new to Sounds Good, if you just found us through Jenna, we would love for you to stick around. You would also love my conversation with our mutual friend, the founder of The Shine Project, Ashley Lemieux, who is so incredible about holding both joy and sorrow at the same time. You should also check out our podcast with the editor-in-chief of darling magazine who darling magazine they don't retouch any of their models in any of their shots it's incredible uh her name is sarah doubledam and our conversation was really really beautiful you can find sounds good wherever you listen to podcasts we're on spotify we're on apple podcasts uh and you know just scroll back through the archives to find our conversations with ashley and sarah and so many more inspiring people this podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, Good, Good. Thank you so much to Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio for editing and mixing the show and to Christy Brock for your production support. You can find lots more hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at, at good, 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 co. In addition to this podcast and social media, we also make a physical quarterly newspaper I just laughed out loud because I still can't believe that we make a newspaper it's called the Good Newspaper and it is filled with real messy hope you can find out more about it and get one delivered right to your front door at goodnewspaper.org and with that that is a wrap for this week's episode thank you so much for joining us we all have a story and vulnerability is a powerful component to our lives we all have overcome something. So remember to surround yourself with people who remind you to recognize your worth. Sound good?